Uh, first of all, good morning. I'm Jackson Carlo. I'm the convener of the uh, Citizens Participation and Public Petitions Committee, who have undertaken and published the report uh, embedding public participation in the work of Parliament, which we're here to review and discuss this morning. And I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Sabina Siebert from the Adam Smith Business School and Dr. Andy Williamson from the Centre for Innovation in Parliament and Interparliamentary Union uh, to talk about the issues arising from the report, which will be the subject of a debate in Parliament at the end of October, just after we come back from the recess. Um, so where, where do I stand in all of this? Well, as a parliamentarian, I came in as a healthy sceptic. It's not as if we don't live or have a prejudice in our mind that we are undergoverned. And there was this kind of sense, are we creating some whole new layer of government by default? Uh, it's a criticism I have at the moment of the kind of lazy way that I think we're beginning to create commissioners in public life and that we started with two, we've now got seven and there are proposals for 15. And I think to myself, well, this is a completely new level of government we are creating. And therefore, if we're going to create something, we should have a very clear understanding of its value and its purpose. So I think that the MSPs uh, on the uh, committee who were through the process and the inquiry started as fairly healthy sceptics, but have actually become quite convinced about the role in which, in which public participation, deliberative democracy can play in our future. Uh, but I come from the position, therefore, that my parliamentary colleagues are probably still somewhere where we were uh, before we began the inquiry and need to understand what it is that we might want to try and do next and why we think that would be of value. So the parliament itself um, investigated all of this because in the previous parliament, the then presiding officer, Ken McIntosh, established a commission on parliamentary reform. And one of the key recommendations that came out of that commission, which was a mixture of parliamentarians and lay people, was that the whole role of the public in a participative way should be investigated more fully to see whether there was a role for it in public, for them in public life and in our evolving democracy. And so the parliament set up the apparatus, uh, which is our uh, engagement unit here in the parliament to allow us to take that forward in this session. And as part of our inquiry, we set up our own mini public, which ended up being, it was meant to be 25, but the death of Her Majesty meant that matters were delayed slightly. And so when things got underway, we had 19 randomly drawn members of the public. And I met them when they arrived. They were equally skeptical about what the whole thing was going to be about as well. I mean, they didn't really know why they were there. They were very pleased they'd been asked. They were getting paid to be there. And they thought, well, this could be a bit of a jolly. But very quickly, they became quite immersed in the whole process and have been very happy to come back at the launch of the report. They will probably be in the chamber in the debate because they really did begin to see the value of the engagement and realized that the, that the contribution they were making and the suggestions they were making um, were not window dressing, but were actually there to genuinely help inform the committee in its work. And 
That is why the, every one of their suggestions is responded to in the report. And interestingly, whether it was here or as in a moment when I talk about where else we went, the most important thing that I think we as members came to realize is that those people who participate want feedback and they don't mind being told we're not doing it as long as they're then told why you're not doing it. And it is interesting how many people have become cynical about the whole consultative process in public life, either because they think they were there really to endorse a decision that had already been taken and that there was nothing genuine to their participation in the consultation, or they've put a lot of work into a representation to a consultation. But because what they said was quite controversial, the people that received their submission basically just buried it, never commented on it again. And they then felt, well, what was the point of all the effort we made? They would have been quite happy. Well, not, I suppose, deliriously so, but they would have accepted if somebody had come back and said, thank you for your submission. Here's why we are or are not going to take forward the, 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 the recommendations that you made. Because then they would feel that the contribution they had made was worthwhile, even if it didn't get taken forward. So we then, having involved people here in the Parliament, in the mini-public, thought that it would be helpful to go where citizens' panels have been tried. So we went to Dublin, we went to Paris, and we also uh, remotely connected with the Parliament in Brussels, not the European Union, but the National Parliament. And that was fascinating. What was common was that in each three of the, area, the countries that we went to, uh, those who had participated in the citizens' panel had had entirely a similar journey about their views as to what they would be involved in and then their conviction on the outcome it having been a worthwhile process. And there were three quite separate models. And I think one of the things we feel strongly is that were we to go forward in Scotland as a parliament or as a country, and there's two different streams for taking this forward, um, it should be bespoke to our particular constitutional and democratic architecture. There is no one size fits all. In Ireland, they brought together and have now done on a number of occasions, citizens panels of 100 people. Interestingly, the political parties now compete in their election manifesto to identify if they are elected what their citizens panels will be about. So there is immediately, if you like, a democratic underpinning of the citizens panels work. The citizens panels in Ireland, which members who have participated referred to as being Ireland in one room, in a way that a parliament is not. We like to think because we are uh, proportionally represented, we are genuinely representative of the people of Scotland. You've only got to look at the representation of the Parliament to see that's actually not the case. But a panel, a citizens' panel of 100 people can be. Uh, interestingly, the people who participated and the first big panel they had was on abortion. And the people who participated came with the whole myriad of views from across Ireland's society on that very controversial and what had seemed for generations intractable problem. But because there was no wrong opinions, but a, a very fact-based secretariat who informed knowledgeably everybody 
on the opinion that they had expressed, came to the decision that they would, quite against everybody's expectation, recommend that abortion become legal in Ireland. And interestingly, their process was their circular. There was a, an election commitment to hold an assembly, a panel. The panel met. The panel made recommendations that went back to Parliament to legislate on. And because much of their social legislation is embedded in the Constitution, it ended with a referendum of the people who knew that it had started with a citizens' panel, went through Parliament, and ended up with a vote. So a very interesting route. Their subsequent panels have led to um, change, but have also led to occasions when the executive has decided not to do it. Was there an alternative view? Yes. Uh, somebody senior in Ireland, I won't name who, said to me, Jackson, this is just a method so that gutless politicians who can't take decisions are able to hide behind a panel who take the decision for them. And is there a truth to that? Maybe. But is that a bad thing on an issue like abortion or potentially an issue like assisted dying here in Scotland, where it's very difficult for politicians necessarily to understand you know, the mood of the public? Is it not better to have the public involved at the ground level to bring up an issue to a parliament which allows them to make progressive progress. We went to Paris. They've just had their first panel in Paris. They were less Paris in one room, but as a city of uh, 12 million, um, were interested and determined that all the arrondissements of Paris should be represented. So it wasn't just as representative of the diverse community, although it was diverse, but they didn't have a manifesto saying what they would talk about. They just brought 100 people into a room and said, what would you like to talk about? Well, 100 people had never met before and were completely randomly selected. You can imagine that didn't really work. So they went back to the Paris City Authority and said, what would you like us to talk about? And therein, I think, lay a slight danger that what they then talked about didn't have that manifesto democratically elected underpinning. Um, and it did look as if the panel was then being used to progress an agenda that there was no mandate for so that the city authority could subsequently say, oh, well, we may not have had a mandate for this, but we had a panel of people who said they were in favor of it, so we can do it. It also led to quite a lot of drop-off because people on the panel felt that there was a predetermined outcome. And the final example, and I'll then draw what I'm saying to a conclusion, was in Brussels, and that was fascinating. In Brussels, they've used it to underpin the work of the committees. So they have panels of 60, 45 lay people, or people nominally lay from within a specialized field, and 15 politicians. And they came together, and the 15 politicians looked at the 45, and they said, well, why would we listen to you? We are very important people. We've been elected. We are the representatives of the nation. And the 45 people looked at the 15 politicians and said, yes, but we bloody well know what we're talking about and you haven't a clue. And after they got over that, they have actually found this has worked incredibly well. And that as a consequence, uh, they exist to service the work of the committees in the parliament on key areas of policy leading to legislation. But that legislation is therefore far better informed to start with. And therefore I look if I'm not being controversial, to maybe things like the deposit return scheme or HPMAs, where there was a public consensus about the need for the policy, 
but that the execution of it maybe didn't carry the same level of support. Would it have been better to have embedded the thinking in that at an earlier stage so that the committee and the legislation was better informed? So I come away from all of this thinking there is a role for all of this. Uh, in an era where I think the public want to be more engaged, uh, in each case, in each country, everybody who participated that we met had had a positive feeling about the process the they had been through. Please ignore all messages until further notice. All right, we may get a further thing saying we should. So let me draw finally to a conclusion by saying what do we recommend? It's for the Scottish Government, and we'll be meeting them this morning actually to get their response uh, to how they might take forward the principle of citizens' panels on a national level. Uh, for the Parliament, uh, we think there are two things we can do uh, with mini-publics here. One is to examine the role of a mini-public uh, citizens' panel in a post-legislative scrutiny role, which is something this Parliament has always said it wanted to do and never has effectively established an embedded process for. And secondly, to find an issue, maybe coming out of the Petitions Committee, which is not partisan, but on which there maybe isn't any clear political view where it would be useful to have a mini-public which led to us being better informed. So we started as sceptics. I think we are now converted. We've got a job to be evangelists for this more widely in the Parliament, but I hope that we can be, and I do believe that this will become across the world um, a more generally applied and used concept. And with that, I'm... of the fire alarm system is now complete. Yeah. So I'm now going to invite Professor Sabina Kesson-Siebert to be our next speaker. Sabina. Thank you for having me uh, here today. Uh, so I was invited uh, to be an external evaluator of the of the initiative. So I came here uh, almost a year ago in uh, October and November 2022, and I observed the citizen panel's deliberations and the whole process around it. So I first scrutinized all the documents, all the information, all the bri briefing documents that were given. I sat through the sessions, the face-to-face -face sessions over two weekends in October and November, and then I witnessed all the online sessions. So I, I zoomed in, I joined online and I observed what was going on. Uh, my task was to essentially evaluate whether um, the, the panels were chaired correctly, properly, facilitated well, whether everybody had a chance to speak. Uh, whether there were no dominant uh, voices that kind of crowded out uh, everybody else. Um, and after my, my work, I produced a report uh, around five sort of headings. So I looked at um, participant recruitment, whether they were recruited correctly. Uh, I looked at evidence provision, were they well informed about what was going on, about design facilitation, and then the impact on participants. So essentially, how did the participation in this panel change their lives and what effect it had on the parliament um, and its work? So in terms of participant recruitment, I, I had absolutely no concerns. Um, it, it, the recruitment followed the robust methodology of certation uh, foundation. Um, as, as Jackson mentioned, there were 19 participants. There was a bit of a dropout. But that's unavoidable. We can never safeguard against dropout because things happen in people's lives and um, and they don't turn up. Uh, what probably we noticed myself and the facilitators um, 
is that younger people and people who are with very busy working lives were more likely to drop out last minute. So, so in my recommendations, I suggested maybe having more of a kind of a reserve list. So the last minute, more people could be brought forward depending on who drops out from the, from the sample. In terms of evidence provision, uh, people were informed really well about what was going on. They were given all the documents. Uh, the, the, the people invited to speak during the events were, were, were excellent. Um, they were really good speakers, engaging, um, and answered all the questions. So a lot of participants didn't know the difference between parliament and government. So all of this was explained. Uh, and the high standing of some of the speakers was perceived as a signal of importance of the event. So it's serious because serious, important people came to talk to the uh, participants. And that was there was a very strong message to them that this this initiative matters, that this is not just a, like a fringe activity. So so that was uh, incredibly important. Um, in the online sessions, I felt that there was a bit of an information overload. Uh, so I'm, I'm a lecturer, so I sit all day long lecturing or listening to lectures, whereas you could see for some people it was a bit too much. So probably um, what I uh, suggested could be done in my recommendations is perhaps we use more audiovisual methods or sort of vary the, uh, the delivery, uh, not to overwhelm people who are not normally sitting in front of their Zoom cameras um, for a longer period of time or lecture theatres. Uh, the design and facilitation was excellent. The panel meetings were facilitated professionally. I was really impressed that it was a very mixed audience. And how do you speak to an audience of 19 people who are com from completely different walks of life and they have different expectations and different understanding of the work of parliament and the work of government? Uh, so, so that was a, quite a task for the team, but, but they, they dealt with this brilliantly. Um, in terms of the influence on participants, so after the uh, the main events were finished, so during the second weekend that I observed, I interviewed the participants and it was a life-changing experience for them. I, I can, hand, a heart, a hand on heart, I can say that you could see the massive change that happened in them. It was a bonding experience. Suddenly it was like, like I, I imagine this is like on jury duty. So you, you kind of spend so much time with people you never knew before. And you could see a change suddenly in them. They had more trust in politicians. They had more trust in a political process. Uh, they were more. They had more faith in democracy, and they were more willing to engage. And you could see that it was a bonding experience. So they, most of them, would stay as friends following, uh, following the the meetings. Um, um, one probably uh, issue in terms of the kind of impact on participants, I, when I spoke to them, a couple of people said, oh, you know, I have children at home, so I kept worrying about my children. Um, and I said, well, you were offered um, help with childcare. Uh, oh, yes, yes, but, you know, I didn't dare to ask. So essentially, there is this kind of reluctance on the part of the participants to ask for help with caring responsibilities with, you know, childcare or caring for the elderly, but uh, I know that this, this help is available, so perhaps communicating it to, to people and encouraging them to, to make use of it would be important. In terms of impact of, uh, of Parliament, um, I followed through with the process, so the 17 recommendations produced by the participation panel were um, taken on board in the committees, uh, in the committee discussions, and they are fully reflected in the final report, so their voices 
were not ignored. Um, numerous examples of good practice emerged from the process, particularly political buy-in and engagement of parliamentary staff. So, you know, cross-section of parliamentary staff were, were present and that was um, wonderful. Uh, the facilitators demonstrated outstanding commitment, so it was a job really well done. And I am professor of management, so on a, in my day job, as it were, I researched work and how people work. And I was really impressed as well how well people, um, facilitators, organized the event. Uh, my message to the parliament was, please don't underestimate the effort. It's a massive effort. Mm -hmm. And... and uh, People that I was observing were doing this over and above their day job, as it were. So there is a, they were at work Monday to Friday, and then they were facilitating these events during the weekend. So you could see that this this is a resource-intensive initiative, but it's absolutely worthwhile. So I had no no major issues to um, to raise, and it was a wonderful process, and I'm really glad I was part of it. Thank you very much, Sabina. Andy. Hmm. Thank you, Jackson. Madanvar, it's very nice to be here in the remote community of Dunedin. I am uh, just got here from Sky last night and I'm hoping the rain holds off long enough to get me home this afternoon. We shall see. I may end up in Perth for three days. Um, as Jackson said when he introduced me, I'm a senior researcher in the IPU's Centre for Innovation in Parliament. So I'm going to talk a little bit with my parliamentary hat on. Um, I'm also the author of the Council of Europe's report on mapping deliberative democracy and of the recommendations just approved by the Council of Europe's Committee of Ministers, which is the first international standard on deliberative democracy. And my third hat is I'm a Skianach. I, I live in Skye, so I live a long way from Edinburgh, which gives me an interesting perspective on how you run democracy from here. And, it, and it's quite pertinent to citizens' assemblies. First thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to call this anything in here a mini-public. It is a barrier to access. It means nothing. If you walk out into the street and say to someone, would you like to join a mini-public? They'll run a mile. They have no idea what you're talking about. So let's find language that engages and embraces openness and democracy in conversation. Let's try and find a better term. Citizens Assembly, Citizens Jury, yeah, they're okay, they're fine. We need something, I say, we need a new term for it, but please not many publics. Awful, awful term. I detest it with a passion. And the more time I've spent looking at this subject, the more I dislike it. But it's tricky. What do you hang your hat on with these things? So, um, participatory democracy is great. Let's get more people involved. Let's bust a couple of myths though. A lot of people who are involved in democratic strengthening and democratic theory talk about rebuilding trust in democracy, and they trust about rebuilding participation in democracy. Wrong. We've never had trust in democracy. We've had ignorance of it and allowed it to run. And we've never had participation in democracy. In the past, it's simply been, you vote, you leave them to it. And actually, when you look at um, things like the Hansard Society's Audit of Political Engagement. One of the things people say in there is, well, we elected them, it's their job, get on with it. No, we don't like them, we don't trust them, we don't think they're doing a good job, but it's their job, I don't want to do it. So let's get over this myth of we're recreating some panacea. We've never had it. What we've now got is a society where the news is in front of our face, every twist and turn. So how in that environment are we going to rebuild trust? And Sabina just said it, get people involved. Show them how it works. And 
for a parliament, for a government running a citizens' assembly is fairly easy. As the Irish have done, you pick a big subject, you get 100 people in the room, you feed them, you talk to them, they make a decision, and you do or, do or don't do something with it. For a parliament, the touch points are much narrower. So you only have a number of limited opportunities to engage the, uh, the public directly in the work of parliament. You can't usurp the role of elected members. We're looking at how participatory and deliberative democracy aligns within a representative democratic system. And that's really important. There are some people out there who've drunk too much Kool-Aid suggesting that we should replace parliaments with citizens' assemblies. And my question back to them is, and who's going to do the 90% of the work that isn't fit for a citizens' assembly? And they don't have an answer to it. So we're not looking at replacing. You're, you're safe. We're not looking to get rid of you. We're looking to... Some people are. <laughs> well, that's, that's a different matter. But what we're looking to do is actually make the decisions better. We're looking to make democracy work better. Now, this is where I put my Skiernach hat on, my Turi, and say, you know, if you just come and ask any of my neighbours about HPMA, we'd have told you. You wouldn't have had the whole thing about it. You could have asked pretty much anyone where I live what the impact of that was going to be, and they would have told you pretty clearly. Now, that's a really good case. I'm not picking that as a political example. It's an example of democratic failure in the system. All you had to do was ask the people that it impacted from day one, and you would have learned what was going to happen. So there's a really good example of why we need more people more involved in the process sooner. And we can do that with citizens' assemblies. Actually, HPMAs would have been a fantastic subject for a citizens' assembly because nobody really disagrees with the idea. What they disagree with was the approach. And, you know, I, I know someone who was going to buy a new boat. Well, if that legislation had gone through, they wouldn't have been able to get a loan to buy the boat because the finance company would have said, well, you don't know if you're going to have a business in two years' time. Now, that's just destroyed a whole, not just one person's business, a whole family's economy and the ecosystem around it through poor policy process. We can improve that by involving people. So participation isn't just citizens' assemblies, but they're a good place to do it. And in Parliament, we've got pre-legislative. We can use it to look at what's coming. We can interestingly look at it with post-legislative scrutiny. I'm really interested in this idea because post-legislative scrutiny is a bit of a boring thing, isn't it? It's, um, let's, let's see if this worked. How do we find out? And there's not a lot of glamour involved in it. And, and actually, I'll be frank, the, the, the Scottish Parliament, it's not been a strong point. And, and that's not the fault of this Parliament. Actually, if you look at the New Zealand Parliament, which is very comparable, same number of people just about in the country, unicameral Parliament, run through a committee system rather than a second chamber. It has the same challenge with post-legislative scrutiny and also some of the, the committee work. So there are the same challenges you have in a, a unicameral parliament of this size. It's just simply having the, the resources to do it. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity for committees to grab the citizens' assembly model and use it to inform post-legislative scrutiny. I, I think it's a really exciting example. Um, but when we run citizens' assemblies, there are some challenges. And Sabina's evaluation is absolutely brilliant because normally when I read these evaluations, it's full of tables on how many people spoke and how many presentations were, and I don't care. 
What I want to know is how they felt. Did they feel listened to? Did people feel empowered? Has it increased their personal trust? And if it's increased their personal trust, are they going to go out and tell someone else when they're sitting in the pub or at the at school gates? Yeah, actually, you know, that was a good process. This, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. Most of our distrust is through ignorance. We just don't know how these things work. So the more people we can involve in the work of parliament, the more we can slowly, slowly, slowly build trust as long as the other side aren't destroying it at a greater rate of knots. So recruitment is really important. I, I really like, I really commend this report. It's absolutely brilliant in a number of ways. One is it talks about, we talk in, in citizens' assemblies, they have to be representative. And, you know, that's almost impossible. You can't get a representative sample of Scotland in 25 people. But you do have to look at making it as broadly representative as you can. And I think that's a really appropriate term. Um, I really like this report because it says no to things. And then it says why. And I think there's a, there's a theme that runs through this, is the, the things that the citizens panel asked to happen and the committee said no to are actually that really interesting point where parliamentary protocol is not understood. So legislating to embed citizens' assemblies in the work of parliament, this parliament cannot legislate what the next parliament should do. No parliament should do that. Parliament is free to choose. It may, after the next election, come together and decide to have balloons in the chamber and party songs, but it's up to them. It's not up to this parliament to decide what happens there. Yes, you can guide, but actually, the thing that's going to make citizens' assemblies take off is when members see the value in them. And that's, that's the key. So picking the subjects where they can inform the debate, and Jackson said this very well, it, it's about MSPs getting a better handle on the situation by speaking to a broader range of people and not just having the usual suspects in the room. You know, at the, the end of the day, the citizens' assembly is a way of breaking the monopoly of the usual suspects in the room and actually getting to talk to the people. And I think that's a really, really powerful message to send out, that this parliament wants to hear from you, wants to hear from everybody. And if that message is used to build um, participation and encourage participation, then you should be able to use the other channels. And this parliament is ahead of the world in a lot of ways. You know, your, your participation team here is fantastic. It's doing a really, really good job. But you're going to have to do more of this, and they're going to struggle to keep up. So how are you going to resource them to take advantage of things like this, to build capacity for participation and support more participation happening? You get more submissions, more people wanting to speak to committees, more people wanting to be involved in these things. How do you, how do you resource that? And how do you build that cycle of democratic strengthening? Because it's, you know, it's no silver bullet here. It's a slow ride. But this is a really, really good start. So um, thank you for the opportunity to, um, to come down to these southern parts of the world and, and talk to you and have breakfast this morning. And, and just to say that that is a fantastic report. And Jackson, I'm really delighted that you're so enthusiastic and a convert to this. Thank you very much. Uh, well, on that thought, um, we will drop proceedings to a close. Our, our report has been published. It's online. There will be a debate in the chamber. I'm very hopeful that we will uh, take forward the pilots, which will allow us to make recommendations to the next parliament and how it might be embedded. I'm immensely grateful to Andy for 
coming on that extended journey to, to be with us face to face today and also to Sabina and to our colleagues in uh, PACT and SPICE who've helped facilitate this morning's discussion. So thank you all very much for coming. Thank you.